0: Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study.
1: Hello again, dear friends, and thank you for joining me as we continue our look at the Syriac Infancy Gospel. Now, for those of you who are just joining me for this series, let me point out that what we are going to be dealing with in this particular study would be considered non-canonized. This book, also known as the Arabic Infancy Gospel, Deals with much superstition, that is, in its attempt, in my opinion, to reconcile the scriptures. Now I teach this, of course, to give the faithful food for thought, because that's not to say that we should discredit this entire book, even though the subject matter at times can be hard to grasp. So, without further ado, let's continue the narrative. As we begin reading, in the Syriac Infancy Gospel, chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Another woman in that city had likewise two sons sick. Now, while we begin looking at this, understand that another woman in that city, what city? Well, the city that Mary Joseph and Yahshua Messiah, the infant, are in at this time, is none other than Bethlehem. And of course, infancy 1 here, chapter 9, verse 1, bears that out. This is also why it says that this woman in Bethlehem, likewise, had two sons sick. So if you were with me back in October of 2015, you'll know that it was another woman who came up to the Virgin Mary and asked to be cleansed from a malady. But if you require more study on that, simply go listen to this particular series, but the part before this one, that is part eight. So we begin by understanding. Another woman in Bethlehem had two sons that were sick. Next verse. And when one was dead, the other who lay at the point of death. She took in her arms to the Lady St. Mary, and in a flood of tears addressed herself to her, saying, O my lady, help and relieve me, for I had two sons, the one I have just now buried. The other, I see, is just at the point of death. Behold how I earnestly seek favor from God and pray to Him. Now let me ask you right now, why would this woman, having two sick sons, seek out the Virgin Mary in her attempt to seek favor from God if she did not believe already that A, either the Virgin Mary was blessed and favored of Yahweh God or B, that Yahshua was exactly what his name meant, Emmanuel God with us. She says, "Oh, lady, the Virgin Mary, help and relieve me. I've already lost one son, and my other son is sick. Not only sick, but sick to the point of death. So she comes to the Virgin Mary, seeking favor from God earnestly, the text says, and praying out to Him, realizing That either the virgin Mary or her son Jesus the Christ would relieve her of what she was going through and free her from her distress. Verse 4. Then she said, O Lord, thou art gracious and merciful and kind. Stopping right there. This woman is seeking healing, is she not? And she gives you three traits of Yahweh God. And I don't want you to lose sight of this. Yahweh is gracious. That's another way of saying he bestows unmerited favor or, in short, grace. But it is Yahweh's graciousness that we live according to at least this borrowed time that we find ourselves in. Not only is Yahweh gracious, but secondly, he's merciful. He will bestow mercy. And what is mercy but another form of grace? So, not only is Yahweh gracious, He's merciful, and He's kind. Kind. That's what we need to focus in on, because we run the risk within identity of coming along and taking one aspect of Yahweh God, that one part of Him, and that one part of you and I, and focusing on that in our effort to disprove the Judeo-Christians. Because the Judeo's come along and say, well, God loves everybody indiscriminately. Thus, C.I. comes along and says, that's not the case. Yahweh God can hate. That's true. Yahweh hates evil. He hates Esau, Edom. And he instructs us also to hate certain things, but never lose sight of the fact that Yahweh God is merciful, gracious, and kind. That's how you know a child of Yahweh. His sons or daughters, they also are kind-hearted. So, remember that. This is part of her prayer, her supplication, verse 4. She cries out to Yahweh God and says, Thou art gracious, thou art merciful, you are kind. You have given me two sons, she says. One of them thou hast taken to thyself. Oh, spare me this other. Now, there's an important key given right here. The mother recognized who owned the soul of her son that was taken from her. She cries out to God in her supplication and says, One of my own sons, you, Yahweh God, have taken to thyself. No mystery there. But yet we live in a world now where the godless come along and say, We don't know where we're going to go when we die. Well, the sons and daughters of Yahweh God most assuredly do. And this woman knew Yahweh more so than we do in this era, Judeo-Christians and Christian identity alike, because she's focusing here on the mercy, the graciousness, and the kindness of Yahweh God, something that is neglected in CI, but focused solely upon by Judeo-Christians. So, of course, Yahweh God is in the middle, like you and I, who are created in his image, Not only is Yahweh God love, but of course, he is hate as well. Not only is Yahweh kind, but he can be evil to those that consider him not a father. She cries out and she says, Well, you sought to take one of my sons to yourself. So take comfort in that, dear kinsfolk, if you've lost a loved one. Know that Yahweh God gives souls and Yahweh God judges souls. Every soul belongeth to Yahweh God, according to the Old Testament canon. And if every soul that belongeth to Yahweh God goes back to Yahweh God, thus the soul that sinneth also shall die. So the best that we can do as we live, according to this mortal coil, at least, is to try to understand Yahweh God and raise our children up according to the promise of God's word. And that is... If we raise a child in the correct way when they're older, they will not part from it. But Yahweh God holds the keys of life and death. It is Yahweh God who gives life and can restore life. This is bore out by Job himself, who said that Yahweh God giveth and Yahweh God taketh away. This woman who came to St. Mary recognized that. But before she recognized that Yahweh God had taken her son, she says, you are gracious, merciful, and kind, not cold-hearted, not unmerciful, and not unjust. Very important. This woman was meek. This woman had humility. And this is very important when we understand who one of these sons is. The one that died is unnamed. We don't know. But the one that will be made whole by Yahshua's bedsheets here goes on to be one of his disciples. And you do not find out which disciple until we get to the end of chapter 11. So, let's continue reading. She asks, Yahweh God, spare me my other son. I don't want to have to go through this hardship one more time. Verse 5. Saint Mary, then perceiving the greatness of her sorrow, pitied her and said, Do thou place thy son in my son's bed and cover him with his clothes? Now, this term, St. Mary, gives you an idea of what school this book came from. And that is the papacy, Catholicism, who focuses mostly on the saints. Now, we could say Greek orthodoxy, but understand at least that what we're dealing with is the Arabic infancy gospel, the Syriac infancy gospel. It has its origins in Syria. Thus, we can already prove that historically, those of Syrian descent, that early church, fell into one of those two classes, the Greek Orthodox and or the papacy. But perhaps that's a study for another day. Is Mary a saint? Well, by the biblical definition of a saint, indeed she is, because the saints are they that believe in Yahshua, and more than that, are persecuted, ridiculed, and oftentimes put to death for his name or for the word of God. So, indeed, Mary is a form of saint, but let's not deify her. We, The faithful do not pray to Mary. We pray only to Yahweh God. And let me stress that. Because many of my detractors come in and they say, well, Pastor Visser's focusing on the Virgin Mary again. And I get attacked mercilessly, oftentimes, for defending the Virgin Mary, for preaching on the gospel of the birth of Mary, or Infancy 2, or this book here, Infancy 1. That gives you a background into who Mary is. But I will unapologetically teach you that Mary was pure. Mary was chosen and sanctified and set aside in special of Yahweh God. And we don't need to go to books like infancy here to prove that. All these books really prove is that our scripture, what is considered canon, is correct. Correct. And they provide a valuable second witness. Now, before we continue on, let me say that I personally do not suggest this first book of infancy. Unlike the book of the Shepherd of Hermas, or the book of Enoch, or the Gospel according to Thomas, even. Because it seems to me, as we continue to study this, much of what we're dealing with here, while we cannot come in and say is impossible with God, seems to be more superstition. Thus, it is superstition that Mary is a saint. Who is Mary? The mother of God. More specifically, the mother of God manifest in the flesh. That would be Jesus the Christ, Yahshua the Messiah. But Mary did possess miraculous power. Not far removed from what you and I possess, dear kinsfolk, because verse 5 says St. Mary then perceiving the greatness of her sorrow, she also was meek, like her heavenly father. She was gracious, merciful, and kind. Kind enough to pay attention and perceive the greatness of this woman's sorrow. And not only that, took pity upon her and gives her a clue and says, Do thou. Place thy son in my son's bed, that's Jesus the Christ, and cover him with his clothes. So you can obviously see, we're not dealing with the swaddling clothes here. Remember, in this very series, they went back with the wise Magi, at least a part of them. These are Yahshua's bed clothes, his sheets. And continuing on in the next verse. And when she had placed him in the bed wherein Christ lay, at the moment when his eyes were just closed by death, as soon as ever the smell of the garments of the Lord Jesus Christ reached the boy, his eyes were opened. And calling with a loud voice to his mother, he asked for bread. And when he had received it, he sucked it. This child who was on the brink of death and gave up the ghost, but instantly was restored, was of the age of no greater than three. How can I make that boast? Because he's in the bed of Yahshua, who at this time would have been no more than three years old. Remember, this book of infancy, for the most part, aligns with our gospel narrative. And Mary and Joseph at the time of the census and the taxation, went into Egypt and abode there for a while, and then came back. Thus, they are in Bethlehem. They are in the land of Judea. And the last several chapters of Infancy 1 have been dedicated solely to the miracles that transpired in the city of Bethlehem, and more important than that, those ones that pertain to the infantile Yahshua. Now, does this narrative so far seem legit? To the natural man, of course, it will not. But we know also that later in Yahshua's ministry, he came in and he rose Lazarus from the dead, proving that he was God, and he held the keys of life and death. So whether this is a reconciliation of a superstitious scribe with our scriptures and him trying to add to and embellish these miracles, or whether it is not, the reality of it is, as your pastor, I can tell you, this is not far removed from anything that Yahweh God can do. With God, all things are possible. Is it possible this happened? Yes, because it's not far removed from Yahshua, much later, giving life unto Lazarus. But consider this, when this happened, when she placed This dying child in Yahshua's bed, where Yahshua had lay before, at the very moment when he died, the text says, when his eyes were just closed by death, suddenly his eyes were opened. And calling with a loud voice to his mother, he asked for bread. He said he was hungry. He wanted something to eat. But he was not yet on the meat of the word. Understand that. We're dealing with children. And this woman lost one child. Very important. Because I want to establish in your mind that Yahshua and this child who was spared from death through this miraculous act here in Bethlehem were of the same exact age. Because as we near the end of this chapter you will find out which apostle this is. And hopefully, it will make more sense. Next verse. Then his mother said, O Lady Mary, now I am assured that the powers of God do dwell in you, so that thy son can cure children who are of the same sort as himself as soon as they touch his garments. So, valuable key right here is given. Jesus was of the same sort as this one. Now, we know Yahshua was guileless. We know He was perfect. We understand that. He had to be, to be a perfect and atonable sacrifice. Acceptable and fit for the use of Yahweh God, correct? So when we come to this statement in chapter 11, verse 7, when the mother of this child who was spared says, That thy son can cure children who are of the same sort as himself. She is not saying that Yahshua was near death. What she is saying is that they are of similar age. Because they lay in a similar size bed. So, very important. Same age. But, as soon as they touch his garments. Is this possible? Well, naturally. The four Gospels bear that out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John prove That oftentimes, they that were sick believed that if they could just touch the hem of Yahshua's garment, they could be made whole in that self-same hour. And many times when they did that, they were made whole in that self-same hour. So, my point is, so far in seven verses of the 11th chapter, nothing we have dealt with here is out of the norm. We're not dealing with a talking jackass like we have in segments before. We're dealing with the fact that Yahshua can give life and restore and give health to those that are maimed. Does that seem far-fetched to you? Well, naturally it is not. And so, who is this child? Well, that answer is provided in the next verse, verse 8. And this is quite important because I personally feel this part of first infancy proves something in our scripture That is seemingly left open as a mystery. And I'll prove that momentarily. But the final verse in chapter 11 in infancy 1 is this. This boy who is thus cured is the same. Who in the gospel is called Bartholomew. Did you hear it, dear kinsfolk? This is the apostle Bartholomew. Thus we could say several things. Bartholomew, if it is, had a brother who died. And also, at the infantile age of about three, had a dealing with Yahshua. Something he would not necessarily remember, right? But the Spirit would testify to Bartholomew much later. More on that. But understand this. Bartholomew, as an apostle, for the most part, nobody really knows who he is. We do know that he was a close traveling companion and a friend of Philip the disciple. Thus, a majority of theologians come in and they say that Bartholomew is Nathaniel or Nathaniel, the apostle that we read about in the very first chapter of John. So if you have your Bible, please turn to John chapter 1, because in that first chapter of John's gospel, we find a valuable clue. That is, if Bartholomew is Nathaniel, whether he is or isn't, we know that the canonized scripture says Bartholomew usually always traveled with Philip, but so also did Nathaniel. Thus, this leads your modern theologians and theologians of old to deduct logically that Bartholomew and Nathanael are the same exact disciple. Now, if this is the case, this should shed light on why this exchange transpires between Nathanael and Yeshua when they are reunited much later At the beginning of Yahshua's ministry. In the gospel according to Saint John, in the first chapter, we read, beginning in verse 43, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. So let me set the table for you here. This was not uncommon. Yahshua taught my sheep hear my voice and will follow. And here in John chapter 6 verse 5 and 12 verse 21. Also chapter 22 throughout all of John. Yahshua would say this. Follow me. Yahshua never forced any individual to follow him. Rather he would teach my sheep hear my voice and will follow. So. Verse 43 in St. John chapter 1 begins on that note. The day following, after he calls Simon Peter, Jesus goes into Galilee and he finds Philip, right? Philip, the same aforementioned close traveling companion to both Bartholomew and Nathanael, who many people believe are the same exact disciple. So he finds Philip and he says unto him, Follow me verse 44. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, stopping right there. That's the first thing Philip does. Jesus says to Philip in his calling of the 12, follow me. And Philip goes and he follows Yahshua. But the first disciple that Philip brings to Yahshua is Nathanael. And verse 44 bears that out. Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of both Andrew and Peter. But Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law. And the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So it is Philip who goes to Nathanael, some whom believe is Bartholomew. And he says, We have found whom Moses wrote about in the law. Interesting, right? Because that proves just what I have preached in times past. That when the law of Moses was given, it was left open because it was not fulfilled. It was left open for a coming sacrifice and a coming redeemer. Thus, Philip recognized that. And he runs to Nathaniel and he says, Moses and the law and the prophets did right of Jesus of Nazareth, the stepson of Joseph. Next verse. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Nathanael asked, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why? Well, perhaps that's a study for another day. Many reasons. But that was not the epicenter of religion. This is not where the majority of the world believed that God manifest in the flesh would be born, Right? Right here in Bethlehem, like we're reading about in the 11th chapter of Infancy 1. Rather, to describe, well, the Son of God would have been born in the high temple in Judea, Jerusalem, more specifically. This is why Nathaniel would say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, Jesus was of Nazareth, correct? In fact, Philip says that. We found Jesus of Nazareth. Not Jesus, King of the Jews, not Jesus even the Judean, but rather Jesus the Nazarene. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can any good thing come out? Philip says, Come and see. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile.
0: Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts Or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by GodCast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow him to lead your life and help to build his church so that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message.
1: Let me read that to you one more time and perhaps this is starting to make sense already. As soon as Jesus Thirty years after the fact, sees Nathanael, whom most people believe is the same Bartholomew that was healed thirty years before, as soon as Yahshua saw him, he saith of him, talking of Nathanael, this is something that Yahshua never said of any other disciple, but yet is said of Yahshua. Yeshua was perfect and had no guile, right? But Yahshua sees Nathanael, Bartholomew, and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Why would there be no guile within Nathanael unless this narrative has some legitimacy? If Bartholomew is Nathanael, and this was the same man who as a child was placed in the same bed that Yahshua slept in and was made whole, then we can logically deduct that there was no guile within Bartholomew and or Nathanael. Thus Jesus Christ came in and said, Behold, an Israelite, first key, he was an Israelite. He was of the same sort as Yahshua. Correct, we just covered that. The woman said, Thy son, Mary, can cure children who are of the same sort of himself. So, if Bartholomew is Nathanael, then we can deduct that Yahshua also is an Israelite. Of course, we know that. He's the king of all Israel. But we, NCI, take this verse and we more focus on this teaching. See? Jesus Christ recognized that Nathanael was an Israelite, but never the second part, in whom there is no guile, meaning deceit. So, if Nathaniel Bartholomew, laid in the same exact bed and was made whole and brought back from the brink of death, then truly there was no guile within him. Now, guile means deceit. And the 32nd Psalm says in verse 2, Blessed is the man unto whom Yahweh imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. It also says in the 73rd Psalm, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart, or a pure heart, some manuscripts say, meaning a guileless heart. So when Jesus Christ sees Nathaniel, he says, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no guile. Does it make more sense? Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, or teacher, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Wow, huh? So as it is that Jesus Christ says, Nathanael was the only guileless Israelite, do you think it might have something to do with the fact that Nathanael recognized his deity? And probably recognized it long before Yahshua saw him under the fig tree. Thus he has this epiphany. He comes out and says, Thou art, number one, the Son of God. Thou art, number two, the King of Israel. Now, this is bore out in Matthew chapter 14, also Matthew chapter 21, and Psalm 2 verse 7 says, I will declare the decree, Yahweh saith unto me, Thou art my Son, this day I have begotten thee. Sounds familiar, does it not? But notice, I took you to the second book of Psalms. Who is the only begotten son of Yahshua? Well, Nathaniel recognized that. Nathaniel comes in and says, Thou art the Son of God in fulfillment of Psalm 2, verse 7. Thou art the King of Israel in fulfillment of Matthew chapter 14, verse 33. And Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. That is why there was no guile. Within Nathanael. Because he died to the world. And lived to Christ. He also recognized. Unlike every other disciple. With the exception of Peter. And much later Thomas. That Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The king of Israel. So why Yahshua said. Nathanael was a guileless Israelite. That was because. Nathanael recognized Yahshua. As two things the son of God, guileless, and the king of Israel, an Israelite. Great minds think alike, dear kinsfolk. So I give you that as food for thought. Now, we could come in and draw straws and say Bartholomew is not Nathaniel. That's fine. Because what we just covered there in John chapter 1 is sufficient enough. But I wanted to give you that as food for thought because if Nathaniel is the same Bartholomew, Well, that should make a little more sense as to why he was guileless, why he was an Israelite, and why Yahshua said there was no guile within him, because obviously there would have been no guile. But nevertheless, continuing on in chapter 12, verse 1, again, there was a leprous woman who went to the lady Saint Mary, the mother of Jesus, and said, Oh, my lady, help me. St. Mary replied, What help dost thou desire? Is it gold or silver, or that thy body be cured of its leprosy? So notice that the narrative is building, obviously. It goes from St. Mary to Lady St. Mary, the mother of Jesus. (laughs) Notice St. Mary says, What help do you desire? Is it gold, silver, or that thy body be cured of its leprosy? Meaning it was self-apparent. She saw it. Mary recognized the signs of leprosy because leprosy affects the skin, right? And it's very hard to cover up. Next verse. Who, says the woman, can grant me this? It's a simple question. St. Mary asked the woman who's coming. Notice at the beginning. It starts by saying again there was a leprous woman. We're still in Bethlehem. But this is a leprous woman, and she comes to St. Mary. And St. Mary says, do you require gold, silver, or that thy body be cured of its leprosy? The woman's natural response is, who is it that can grant me this? St. Mary replied to her in verse 4, Wait a little till I have washed my son Jesus and put him to bed. So, notice that not only was St. Mary, quote-unquote, compassionate, but she was hospitable. She says, I'm about to wash my child, my young child, and if you wait a little until I'm done with that and I've put him to bed and he's fast asleep, we're going to do something about your leprosy. Verse 5, the woman who was affected with leprosy waited as she was commanded. And Mary, when she had put Jesus in bed, giving her the water with which she had washed his body, said, Take some of the water and pour it upon thy body. Stopping right there. Now, do you believe that there is power within the water? I ask that, of course, because there are many people who come in and they want to deny the faithful baptism, or at least being reborn within the water. What I'm trying to point out here is that it's not so much the water, is it? Because Yahshua would teach, an individual's faith will make them whole, usually. And is most often times the case. Those that are sick or require healing have the faith to come. That's bore out here. This woman comes. She's a leper. Mary washes her child. And when she was done doing that, She gave the leprous woman some of the water, and she tells her, Take some of the water and pour it upon thy body. What happens? Verse 6. Which, when she had done, she instantly became clean and praised God and gave thanks to him. Now, that's a miracle. It's found right here in this uncanonized book. Is it far removed from reality? No. Is it something we can believe in? I believe, yeah. Absolutely. Because Yahshua can heal in millions of different ways. I'm not trying to limit God here. We're dealing with a difficult text. But the water by which Yahshua was washed within would be able to cleanse a woman from leprosy naturally if Somebody could be cured by their own faith if they merely touched the hem of his garment, correct? So, verse 6 says, which when she had done, she instantly became clean. Done what? She did the commandment of Mary. Mary says, take some of the water and pour it upon your own body. Which when she had done, she obeyed. It is very important for each and every one of us to obey the word of God. Down to the letter. If we are commanded to do, then do it. That is the only way you will see miracles. And when this woman had done, she instantly became clean. Does it make you wonder what would have happened had she done not? Or had she said, I'll do it in a few days and just took a little bottle of water with her? You have to do what Yahweh commands you through his prophets. But continuing on in verse 7. Then she went away after she had abode with her for three days. Three days this leper was in the home of Mary. Consider that. Because the Pharisees most assuredly would not go around lepers. They would put them in their own little colonies and subjugate themselves out The Pharisees would never bring themselves down to the level of those that were affected with leprosy. But this leper stayed within the home of Mary and Joseph and the three-year-old Yahshua Messiah for three days. And going into the city, she saw a certain prince who had married another prince's daughter. But when he came to see her, He perceived between her eyes the sign of leprosy like a star and thereupon declared the marriage dissolved and void. Now, this is going to be an interesting exchange here because this prince puts away his wife. And going into the city, she sees a certain prince and this prince married the daughter of another prince, right? But when he came to see her, he looked and noticed right between her eyes, meaning she wore it on her sleeve, dear kinsfolk, just like the leper before, which is why Mary replies and says, Do you want gold? Do you want silver? Or do you want your body cured of its leprosy? That same woman, however, goes into the city, the very city of Bethlehem, because they are on the outskirts thereof, And she bumps across this prince who just so happened to want to marry this one woman, but this one woman was a leper. Thus him being a prince could not marry her, right? And so we have a proverbial story here of kissing a frog and finding a prince, albeit the roles are reversed. Verse 10. When the woman saw these persons in this condition exceedingly sorrowful, And shedding abundance of tears, she inquired of them the reason of their crying. Now notice she also is gracious and merciful, unlike the unfaithful servant. Now she was healed of her leprosy. Naturally, being a saint, her desire would be that others could come to the same healing. But not so with the Pharisees. This is important because Yahshua came much later in his ministry and railed against the Pharisees. But what is being taught in this infancy gospel is not far removed from what he did as an adult, but yet here he does so through the virgin Maryam. It is usually Mary who takes the bathwater of Yahshua and gives it away, or it is Mary who sends the three wise Magi off with a piece of the swaddling clothes of Yahshua. And that is why when the woman saw these persons in this condition and when they were crying, she went and diligently inquired. She wanted to know the reason. Now, a man who is evil, a man who does not care of others, would just continue to walk on the other side. But what do they reply? They replied, inquire not into our circumstances for we are not able to declare our misfortunes to any person whatsoever. Notice the text doesn't tell you why. But, being that they were crying, they were already given a gag order by the prince. This isn't far removed from what we've already covered in this series and the first eight segments. They say, I'm not able to tell you, but notice what this woman does in verse 12. Still, she pressed... And desired them to communicate their case to her. Intimidating. That perhaps she might be able to direct them to a remedy. Meaning that she came in and basically said, I have a cure. And intimidated them into saying. So if it was at the word of a prince, do not go out and say that this prince shamed you and disavowed you. She intimidated them by saying, hey, I might be able to help you. I might have a remedy, a cure. Why would she know this? Well, she herself was made whole. Next verse. So when they showed the young woman to her, and the signs of the leprosy which appeared between her eyes, she said, I also, whom ye see in this place, was afflicted with the same distemper. And going on some business to Bethlehem, I went into a certain cave, and saw a woman named Mary, who had a son called Jesus. Notice, here is a reiteration of the fact that Mary and Joseph dwelled within a cave. Now, many times, preachers can come in with this and say, well, Yeshua was born in a cave. And I'm not disputing that. As I've proven from this very series, both are correct on several levels. Whether you want to believe Yahshua was born in a manger or a cave, Most mangers were within caves, or adjacent to a cave, and the word cave in the Bible also can mean an abode, a home, a shanty, a motel, etc. So, there is a difference here. The leprous woman went to the Lady St. Mary, and we're even told that she stayed abode with her for three days. But yet here, she comes in and says, it was a cave. Right? She says she went through the same exact thing. I went into a certain cave and I saw a woman named Mary. Who had a son named Jesus. So far, notice Joseph doesn't come into this narrative. Joseph at best is a bystander. Almost every miracle is between the virgin, Yahshua, and those that are maimed. And those that need a physician. So, The former leper reiterates the story. And in verse 15, she says, She, who the Virgin Mary, seeing me to be leprous, was concerned for me. Stopping right there. Do you think that might be why this same woman was concerned for these? I think so. She even says, She, Mary, saw me to be leprous. Why? Because she saw it in my eyes as well. And she was concerned for me and gave me some water, with which she had washed her son's body. With that, I sprinkled my body and became clean. She tells them the truth, dear kinsfolk. She does not embellish it. She comes in and says exactly what transpired. What do you think the women are going to say? Naturally, this would be the woman who was engaged to the prince and her entourage, they were crying and wailing for her and on her behalf. Then said these women, Will you, mistress, go along with us and show us the lady, St. Mary? That's the question. They also desire healing. They also have faith within the narrative as it is relayed, not in the word of God, but by one of the prophetesses of Yahweh God who was healed by a Sibyl, if you will, but at least the mother of Yahweh God, yet another prophetess of God. The reason many of these Gnostic books were pushed out is because they focus more on the feminine as opposed to the masculine. That is, in my opinion. And yet it still creeps in within the canonized text in terms like Abba and other things like that. El Shaddai, for example. But be that, as that's a study for another day, they ask her, mistress or servant of Yahweh God, will you show us the lady or virgin Saint Mary? To the which she consenting, they arose and went to the lady Saint Mary, taking with them very noble presents. And when they came in and offered their presents to her, they showed the leperish young woman what they brought with them, her, Then said St. Mary, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ rests upon you. Stopping right there, notice. Mary recognized already, perhaps even before Yahshua. But this is not far removed from the Gospels. Both Joseph and Mary would have recognized that Yahshua was exactly who he was, "...because the archangel Gabriel appeared to them both at separate times, once to Mary, and said, "...the Lord has favored you, you shall conceive of the Holy Spirit." "...and much later to Joseph, and says, Arise, take the virgin who is pregnant into the land of Egypt." Both of them understood that, really understand that, because Judeo-Christianity comes in and says, well, Mary didn't really realize this." But what we're covering in infancy proves that most of the miracles of the youthful Yeshua were because Mary believed in who he was. And naturally she would because she was raised within the holiest of holies. She was familiar with the word of God. Therefore she said, The mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, My Son, who's barely three rest upon you. And verse 20 says, And giving them a little of that water with which she had washed the body of Jesus Christ, she bade them wash the diseased person with it, which, when they had done, she was presently cured. Who? The woman, the fiancé of the prince. What do you think happens? Well, she's made whole, right? This is a miraculous story. Let's keep reading. There's only two more verses, and we're concluded. So they... And all they who were present praised God. And being filled with joy, they went back to their own city and gave praise to God on that account or that narrative, that which transpired. The miracle happened. And it was because of that account they go back to their own city and they praise Yahweh God. Notice time and time again, not only in these books, but also in the Old Testament. When Yahweh God delivers... People go out and praise. People are grateful. People like this woman who once was a leper go out and desire to give other people that same exact healing. Perhaps that makes sense why when Jesus would deal with the Pharisees, he would say, they that aren't sick don't need a doctor. The Pharisees could never be grateful because they fancied themselves whole. But what happens? Final verse here in Infancy 1, chapter 12. Verse 22. Then the prince, hearing that his wife was cured, took her home and made a second marriage, giving thanks unto God for the recovery of his wife's health. Notice they were engaged, but the prince considered her his wife. So much so that when she was made whole, when she was fit to be an heir of the kingdom, the prince goes back out and makes a second marriage. Very important, because when we look at the parables of Yahshua, there are two classes and two specific parables pertaining to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But that's a study for another day. We could, for all intents and purposes, come in and say this prince was a bastard. If we wanted to, could we not? Because after all, why didn't he love her in her leprous state? Why would he disavow her and put her away? Because of position. Because he was a high-ranking prince. But this is meant to be a happy ending. A happy ending for the feminine. (laughs) Meaning that for the woman, her story was great. So, being the fact that we perhaps don't understand why the prince would do this, or at least I don't, We understand that the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. The woman's reward was being able to remarry publicly at a second marriage, the prince. Much symbology here. Much symbology. And so I hope that this look into the Syriac infancy gospel has helped you. And I will likely be back very shortly with the next segment in this series until we have concluded because I really want to tie up the loose ends on this particular series. This gives you an alternate viewpoint into the nativity story and the birth of Yahshua. And oftentimes our four canonized gospels remain suspiciously silent when pertaining to the youth of Christ. In fact, some of my most popular sermons ever preached all pertain to the youth of Yahshua because these are questions that the faithful want answered. And as such, I hope I was able to answer some of those questions for you. And I thank you once again for joining me. And so, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia and CPM. Wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen.
0: Covenant People's Ministry Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Vissler's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.